Good morning, Four Corners. Oh, come on, second service. Good morning, Four Corners. Listen, I know that it's kind of dreary and it's kind of rainy, but at least it's not snowing. I mean, we've had a lot of snow this winter. There's something to be thankful for this morning, all right? Thank you, Jesus, that it's not below freezing. I'm from Texas. I literally thank God every day it's above 60 degrees, all right? And there's not been a lot lately. So, hey, we're super glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I am um, Joseph Antley. I'm one of the associate pastors here at uh, Four Corners. I've had the blast of serving on this team uh, for almost six months now. Uh, an incredible staff uh, that we enjoy. We love working together. Um, an incredible set of volunteers um, that work here that make this place happen every single week. Because there's just a few staff members, but there's an army of volunteers who love God and who love serving you and make you feel welcome every time that you come in here. And there's one team specifically that I want to highlight because when everything goes well, they get no recognition. But when everything goes wrong, they get all of the blame. And that is our sound and tech team. Because I know, I know, I know, I know. We're all normal. I do it too. As soon as something goes wrong, what do we do? Our head snaps back and we're like, hey, what's, what's going on, guys? They are amazing. They are flawless week after week. They do a great job. So would you join me just giving them a thank you for what they do every single week? serving. We appreciate it. They're here early. They stay late. They are awesome. They are incredible. And I'm thankful for our senior pastor and wife and family who lead the way in serving. If you guys have not got a chance to meet our senior pastor, his wife, and their family, I would challenge you to get to meet them, know them. They are incredible leaders, but they lead by serving. And I believe that at the heart of this church is serving because it's at the heart of Pastor Ben, Pastor Jill, his boys, and with Ellen. Uh, so if you will, would you please just give it up for Pastor Ben, their family. We thank you guys. We honor you. We appreciate you. Hey, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a little bit of scripture. We're going to talk, we're going to pray, and then hopefully we're going to take some bold steps and we're going to move out of here, all right? So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to read the first nine verses. If you don't have a Bible, it is in your notes. If you don't have your notes, it'll be on the screen. And if that's too far for you to see, you can download an app on your phone and you can read the Bible anytime that you want. It's really cool. It's amazing technology these days. So Nehemiah chapter 2, I'm going to read the first nine verses and then we're going to pray, all right? So Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you were not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? So then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And in verse six, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted me my request. Will you guys pray with me? God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for Four Corners, just the opportunity to come to glorify you 
you to lift your name up, to spend time with people who love you and who love each other. God, we're so thankful for this place. God, I just pray for, for a few moments that we would just lean in. God, for just a few moments, we would forget about what we got to do tomorrow. We wouldn't worry about what's going to go on this evening. But God, we would just take just a few moments and hear from you. God, I pray that only you would speak this morning, that you would speak directly to our minds and to our hearts. And God, we will thank you for all things and give you glory and give you honor in your name. Amen. So I did this first service and it was kind of interesting. So I'm going to do a quick survey. All right. So question, how many Ohio State fans are in the room? Okay, there's one true Ohio State fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I live in Ohio, and there's nobody else to cheer for. I'm an Ohio State fan. We're not cheering for the Bengals. I mean, let's be honest, all right? There's somebody we got to cheer for. All right, curious. How many of you are haters of Ohio State? All right. Hey, it's all right. It's funny who haters are more proud than the ones who actually are fans. All right? Um, I don't know who to pray for here, all right? The haters or the non-hater. I don't know. So we're confused. So... So I'll be honest, I am an Ohio State fan, but I have not always been an Ohio State fan because I am from the great state of Texas where we work hard and we play football. Everybody plays football from literally the moment you're born. The re- like everybody plays football. Like you just, you just play it. It's the game that we do. So I grew up being a diehard Longhorn fan and we used to be really good. I mean, we had about 20 years where we were unstoppable. I don't want to talk about what we're doing now, but we're on the rise But I became an Ohio State fan just a few years ago because I had this incredible experience that literally changed my life. It is one of the top five greatest moments of my entire life. I'm not an Ohio State fan, but I had an opportunity given to me by my wife's family to go to the national championship game where Ohio State played Oregon just a few years ago. Now remember, I'm from Texas. I love anything football. I hated Ohio State, but when I got that call, I said, give me some red, give me the white. I mean, I will wear it. I'll put on a jersey. Go Buckeyes. I mean, I was die hard for about 24 hours. I mean, I was like, let's go Buckeyes. So we go, and man, it was such an experience. The game's in Dallas. I'm get, everybody's there. I'm a sports fan. I'm getting to meet all kinds of people that may or may not mean anything to you. But to me, they were like childhood heroes, right? But my wife will tell you that I have um, a disorder of some sort, that whenever I meet famous people, I do one of two things, and they're both dumb. All right. So whenever I meet famous people, I do one of two. One, which is more common, is I just clam up like this. I mean, like literally, like they can be right there. And I just like, oh my God, like Whitney. And she's like, who is it? I'm like, you don't know? Like, look. She's like, I, what? what? I'm like, I can't look. You look, look, it's them. And like, like I clam up. Like, I don't know why. I freak out. All right. Or I do the other one, which is even worse. I act like I've known them my entire life and we're best friends. And, and, and then they're weirded out, okay? So at least they're not weirded out the first one. So, so literally, I'm here, and if you know these people, you will know why this is such a big deal to a young guy who grew up loving football. As I'm at, the, I'm at the airport, and within 10 feet, I'm dead serious, within 10 feet is Joe Montana. I mean, the guy, right? I mean, Joe stinking Montana is 10 feet away, and I literally, this is exactly what I did. Oh, my God. Like, there was a column. I literally got behind the column. I was like, Whitney, look. She's like, who is that? I'm like, it's Joe Montana. She's like, who's that? I'm like, the guy on the Levi commercial. She's like, oh yeah, I know him. And I'm like, ah, like, you're right. And I'm just like, she's like, well, just go talk to him. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. She's like, just go talk to him. I'm like, I, I can't, it's Joe Montana. And I'm literally ashamed to tell you, he was 10 feet away and I never met the guy. 
I mean, I didn't even go up and talk to him. I was literally that terrified to just go say, hi, Joe, my name's Joe. We should be best friends. Like, like I just, I couldn't do it. But the other thing I do remember is I act like we're best friends and then they, or then they get the bad end of that. So at the exact same trip, I decided I'm not going to make this mistake again. I am going to go and meet the next guy I see. So the next person I see, dead serious, he gets off the elevator. And if you're a football fan, he played for the Minnesota Vikings. He was a wide receiver. He's a Hall of Famer. His name is Chris Carter. So no lie, I'm walking towards the elevator. Chris Carter gets off the elevator, and I'm like, I'm not going to clam up. I'm going to loose. I'm going I'm to go, go say hi. In my mind, it's going to be normal, like, but I know it's not going to be. But in my mind, I'm just, just going to go say hi. So literally, I'm from Texas. I'm, I'm this old country boy, and I don't know why. I walk up, I'm like, yo, Chris, what's up, man? Dead serious. We dab it. We hit shoulders, and I'm like, all right, man, cool. I'll see you later. Play it. Like, and I just walk off. And my wife's like, what just happened? I'm like, I just met Chris Carter. And she's like, do you know him? I'm like, no, nah, I've never, never met him, but um, he's not going to forget me. I can tell you that. Like, <laughs> right. And she's like, you are so weird. And I'm like, I know. So like, so I, I'm at this place and I'm having this incredible experience. We're doing all kinds of, Eddie George is there. Archie Griffin is there. Like, I'm just having a blast. We got to meet the players. I'm hanging out with Cardell Jones. We were, we went and went, saw a movie later. And I'm just, I'm just like, I didn't do that. But I mean, I put my arm around him. I was like, hey, picture. Right. And so like, we're having this blast. We're having a great time. Ohio State wins the game. And I'm just like, yes, go Buckeyes. This is awesome. I love Jesus. Like everything's going great. And then um, we have have to actually leave Dallas to go back home to Charlotte. This is very normal. You go on a trip, you fly back home. The thing that you don't know about me too is I'm, I'm a little bit of a planner. Like I actually like doing the planning, which means I like booking the flights because I like searching for deals, right? I'm like, hey, babe, you'll never guess how much money we save. Like I just, I don't know. I feel really good about it. But on this particular trip, I didn't book the flights. I actually had booked the flights, but my wife said, hey, I found a better deal. And I remember looking at it and being like, that is too good to be true. Wow, what a deal. Okay, so we canceled my flights and we went with her flights. And I said, babe, will you send me the itinerary? Sure. Week goes by, I don't get the itinerary. Hey, babe, will you send me the itinerary? Sure. Week goes by, I never get the itinerary. So we go, we, the, the game is over. We go back to the hotel for maybe an hour, two hours, get some sleep. Our flight leaves DFW at 5 a.m. in the morning. Like, ah, so we're leaving at 5 a.m. We got to get there super early. We wait in this long line because everybody's trying to leave Dallas. We get to the front and they say, hey, can we see your boarding pass and or confirmation? Wife says, sure. And I'm like, yeah, babe, show, show, show them the confirmation. So she pulls out the phone, shows them the confirmation number. And I'm dead serious. She looks at us and says, I'm sorry, your flight is for next Tuesday at 5 a.m. <laughs> what? What did you just say? She said, Our, your flight is for next Tuesday at 5 a.m., which immediately made sense why it was about 25% of the price that I had saw that we were going to get. So I was like, well, what, what can we do about this? He said, well, I mean, there, there's no open seats. I'm like, well, is there another flight? She's like, there is nothing open for the rest of the day. I'm like, well, what are our options? I have to get home. We had both taken half a day. She's a teacher. She was going to be back at noon. I had a meeting I was leading at noon back at my church. Like we had to get back. She's the best I can do is put you on standby. Great. Put me on standby. So we get put on standby. And believe it or not, the first plane, the one we were supposed to be on, they actually had room and got us on the plane. And I'm thinking, yes. The Lord is good. I'm not going to have an argument with my wife tonight. I'm just going to thank God for his goodness and his mercy for us. And, of course, we're split up. 
And I'm sitting there and I start noticing the flight attendants are, they're counting and they're riding and they're counting and they're riding. And I look and there is a mom who's very upset because she doesn't have a seat to sit with her young son. And immediately I know they're, they're going to take my seat. They're going to take my seat. So the gentleman, kindly, Christian, moral man I am, I put my head like this and was just like... <laughs> Nope, nope, they're not going to do it. They're not, not going to do it. So what they did is they literally, they literally got on the intercom and said, is there a Mr. Joseph Antley on the plane? You know, here, you know, back to my, high, my, my, my uh, middle school days. And, and they said, we're sorry, would you please come to the front? And I know, I know, I'm about to get kicked off this plane. And everybody's eyes, have you ever had to walk off a plane before? It's the most humiliating thing you will ever go through because everybody's just like, what's wrong with him? And I just put my head down and just walk. And remember, my wife's on the plane. So I'm like, babe, just go without me. You'll be fine. Just go. Like, don't, don't worry about it. And we're literally having like this very dramatic moment. We're like, are you? I'm like, babe, go without me. And she's like, no, I'll never leave without you. And I'm like, just go. Like, you'll be fine. She's like, no, you're my husband. I'm like, just go. And um, I get off the plane. And of course, she came right behind me. I uh, was like, I'm never leaving. I'm like, I, I know you're a great wife. I just don't know what we're going to do. So we, we, we get off this plane and I remember sitting back down on the bench and us just looking at each other and we had a problem. We had no way to get home. It was very easily identifiable. But I remember looking at her and saying, well, now what? What are we going to do now? We know we have a problem. What are we going to do? And it's a very long story that I'll tell you later. So the question is now what? And the thing that I found in our lives is we are really, really, really good at identifying problems. We are really, really good at identifying things that are broken. What we're not so good at is asking the question, now what? You see, anybody in this room can articulate problems in their lives. The question is, can you articulate what you are going to do about it? Because here's what I found, is if you're willing to ask the question, now what, you open yourselves up to move from the present to maybe a better future. But what I've also found is the enemy is really, really, really good at something. You know what it is? It's called distraction. The enemy is, he's not just really good, he is a master of distraction. Because what he has realized is he doesn't have the power nor the authority to keep you from reaching your destiny, but he can distract you with your problems. And so here's what he does, is he takes you and he keeps your eyes focused on the problems, and then you just become to get defined by it. He keeps your mind focused so much on the problems that instead of something happening to you, it becomes to be who you are. Instead of, I went through a divorce, I am divorced. Instead of, they hurt me, it's, I am hurt. Eventually what it does is what we were supposed to be the ones defining eventually becomes the very thing that defines us. And what we do is we focus so much on this thing that we lose sight and we never take our minds off of it to say, now what? Guys, I got on the news yesterday and man, like what is going on? Like, I mean, it's not that hard to see problems. Like, get your head out of the sand. Everybody's aware. Like, I got on the news and I see war. I see poverty. I see death. I see divorce. I see um, uh, cancer. I see so many things and I'm like, oh my gosh. And what about in your own life? It's not that hard to see brokenness and problems, is it? If we were really honest, I think if we were all to write down the problems and the brokenness that we're experiencing right now and we were to lay them up here and read them off, I think it would be absolutely heart-wrenching, the problems and the brokenness that we experience in this very room. 
I think it would be heart-wrenching for us to, to, to admit that our marriage has fallen apart. I think it would be heart-wrenching for us to look up here and see that I just buried my spouse of 50 years. I think it would be heart-wrenching to find out that, that, that their families fall into pieces. I think it would literally break us just to know the brokenness that exists here. But the thing is, if the enemy wants to keep you fixed on the problem, God wants you to look up and see the solution. So what we want to do today is we want to ask a very simple question. We want to ask, now what? You can identify the problem. You can articulate the problem. But what are you going to do about it? Because we find in this book named Nehemiah that we are going through right now, we're studying. It's an incredible book. And even if you don't believe in the Bible, or even if you don't like what's going on here, there's such incredible teaching to gain from this. So what's going on is Israel used to be a powerful country, but it's been destroyed by this country of Babylonia. And what they did is they took captive the leaders and the people of um, high importance and they took them and they became servants and everybody that was left just got scattered. And so for this period known as the exile period of about 70 years, Israel's in ruins. The walls are destroyed. It's, it's an embarrassment. Um, every, the weeds are growing up everywhere. There's nothing there to live for. And what we found is eventually Persia took over Babylonia and Persia had a little heart. They, had a, they were, so showed some kindness to Israel. So they began to send people back. And Nehemiah is the book we're reading about. Here's that people are going back to Israel. He's never even been there. He's never even seen the city of Jerusalem, the place of his fathers. But he hears people are going back and he asks somebody, he says, tell me about Jerusalem. And they said, well, it's really a shame. The walls are in ruins. The gates have been burned to ashes. And what we found out last week was Nehemiah gained a heart for the brokenness of his city. And so for four months, what he does is he prays and he plans. And where we jump in in Nehemiah chapter two is we find out what he had been praying for for four months and what he had been planning and how that can help us answer the question of now what? So the first thing that we find out that Nehemiah did is he was able to define the vision. He was able to give a clearly defined vision of a better future than the present. All right. So what he was able to do is we find in here that he, he, he goes to the king and he says that he's so sad. He had never been this sad before. And the king's like, hey, what's going on? This is more than illness. Like there is like there is sadness of heart here. And I love Nehemiah. As soon as he hears that, he says, yeah, my city's been destroyed. The people at my, my home I've never even been to is in ruins. It's an embarrassment. Like this is why I'm sad. And a lot of us were really good at that part. We can say why we're sad. We can say what the problem is. We can say what's broken. But catch what the king does. The king who has all power and all authority in that country and in that region, he looks at him and he says, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? He said that from a position of someone who could actually change his situation. And I think if we were honest, if we really, even if you don't believe in God, if you just imagine for a moment that there was a real God, and you imagine for a moment that if he was actually here with us this morning and you said, you know what? I am sad in heart. I do have problems. I am broken. And God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, if he was to look at you this morning and say, what is it that you want? Could you actually give him an answer? Literally, if God right now in this moment looked at your heart, not what I know, what not the people around you know, but if he looked directly into your heart and saw the brokenness and saw the problems and saw the pain and said, what is it that you want? Could you give him an answer? Because for many of us, we couldn't because our eyes have been so fixed on the problem. So you have to be able to clearly define a vision because the truth is you can't achieve anything that you can't define. 
If you can't define it, you will not achieve it. Period. And the fact is, there are a ton of visions that God wants to give you. There are things that God has for your life, for your family, for your marriage, for your job, for who you are as a person. God has visions that he wants to give you. But if you can't define it, you will never achieve it. And you will live with this brokenness in your life. But I found that there are a couple of circumstances that hinder us from reaching our vision. So what we have to do is we cannot allow your circumstances to hinder your vision. And here are three quick things I want to give you. Circumstances that hinder your vision. And the first one is your title. It's your title. The first thing that will hinder you from ever reaching your vision is your title. Because what's going on in this room right now, I can, I can see the head turnings, is you're hearing brokenness and you're hearing vision and you're hearing God wants to restore and God wants to rebuild, but you're telling yourself all the reasons it's not going to happen. One of the reasons why you're saying is because of your title. Because what does a title do? It provides us a framework. If I know my title, if I know who I am, I'm a pastor, right? So I, I know the framework of being a pastor. I know that I work at a church. I know that I work Sunday to Sunday. Like I know that, um, like, you know, that there's, I'm, I'm not going to make a lot of money, but I know God's going to provide. I know that I believe in the Bible. Like I know my framework, but what happens whenever God gives me a vision that requires me to go outside of my framework? What happens whenever God gives me a vision that requires me to move over there and I say, I can't, I'm a pastor. What I'm doing is I'm letting my title go from a framework to a prison. What I'm doing is I'm letting my title not just be a framework, but be in the very thing that defines my life. So what happens is, is you, you get your framework. I'm a businessman. I'm very successful. I'm very good at what I do. And God says, okay, here's the vision to, to restore the wall. And you say, I can't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm a businessman. That's a pastor's job. But then the pastors are saying, I can't do that because that's the businessman's job. I'm a pastor. But how about this? I'm a teacher. This is my framework. I know what I do. And God says to go over there. Well, I can't do that. I'm a I'm a teacher. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Stay-at-home stay moms don't do that. And what becomes just a general framework to help push your life now becomes a prison that prohibits you from reaching the vision that God has for you. Or, or maybe it's not just the good titles. Maybe it's the bad titles that we don't like talking about. Maybe it's the bad titles that, that some of us experience. Maybe it's the bad title of being a failure. Well, I will never be able to achieve that. Maybe it's the bad title of I'm, I'm divorced. I, I, I will never be that. Maybe it's, well, I'm just a single mom. I'll never be able to do that. Like, like we, we, we can let whatever title we want define us. But the fact is every person in this room is living their life based on whatever title they think they are. And that title may be the very thing that's keeping you from moving to the vision that God has for your life. Nehemiah was a cup bearer. That means he drank the wine, everybody washed him to make sure he didn't die, and if he didn't die, then the king got to have it. He was expendable. If he dies, we'll just get another one. So he could have at any moment said, I'm just a cupbearer, I will never be able to rebuild that wall. But instead of letting his title hinder him from reaching that vision, he said, all right, God, if you want me to step outside of being a cupbearer, then I will step outside because this is the vision you've given me. The second thing that we allow to hinder us from reaching our vision is our resources. It's our resources. What we do is we look and we say, I don't have the resources to do that. And you know what? You're probably right. Like, 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 like oh, you, you know, we're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to tell me that everything's okay and I've got everything I need. Well, Jesus is all you need, but you may not have the, pro you might not have the resources. Guess what? That's exactly where you're supposed to be. 
If God gives you a vision that you can achieve on your own, that's not God's vision, that's your vision. If God gives you a vision beyond your brokenness that is beyond the resources that you have, then that's a good place to be because God wants you to realize it's not your resources, it's his resources. God wants to be the one, remember, he's a provider. He wants to give you the provision to reach your vision. See, I'm reminded of a friend of mine. Her name is Simone Puccellini, a fantastic woman. Uh, I met her at Lee. And I jumped on her website just yesterday. I wanted to read about some of the things she was doing. So what you don't know is in college, she got a vision for something. She got a vision of going to Uganda and building a school. She got a vision of going to Uganda, building a school that student after student could come to. They could find comfort. They could find food. And they could be educated. And you know what? She did it. It was a vision well beyond her resources. You know, currently, seven years later, her school houses 600 students who she feeds and educates every single day. 600. A 20-year-old said, I don't have the resources, but for some reason, God's given me this vision that I need to step outside and trust him. But here's the thing about Simone that most people will never know. is around the same time, actually right before God gave her this vision, she got diagnosed with lupus. So what you don't know, because you weren't there, is all the times that she just couldn't leave her room. She didn't feel well. You don't know all the times that we were all outside and her boyfriend was playing football with us and she couldn't go watch him because the sun was too painful. So what you don't know is in that moment she could have said, I don't have the resources, I don't even have the health to go to Uganda. But she trusted that God had given her a vision And she was going to see it through. So even though she had lupus, even though she didn't have the means, the financial means, she stepped out and trusted God. To today, I challenge you, get on simoneskids.com. I want you to go and look at the things that God is doing in her life. And the thing I love about her, I talked to her just a year ago. She said, I would have never in a million years been able to tell you what God was going to do. But thank God I trusted him beyond my resources. Don't let your resources hinder the vision that God has for you. The third thing that we allow to hinder us is your perspective. It's your perspective. I'm really good at at, at being a good Christian. I'm really good at being a pastor. I'm a pastor's son. I've watched it my entire life. I don't even know what else I would do. Honestly, sometimes people ask me, like, if you want a pastor, what would you do? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never seen anything else. And so you know what I'm good at? I am really good at just locking myself in a room and just praying, man, Dude, I can bring down some holy fire. I mean, woo, man, I can knock the paint off the walls with my prayer. Like, yes, Lord, do your thing. And it is amazing. Man, I prayed for rain yesterday and look what happened. Like, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. All right. Didn't do that. Here's what I'm bad at. I'm bad at praying prayers that actually require me to do something afterwards. I am really good about praying prayers that say, God, you need to do this. God, you need to show up. God, you need to go do this to them. God, you need to provide this. Or even this, God, you need to send somebody there. God, you need to send somebody to help that problem. God, I pray you would help them. God, I pray you would send somebody there. I even pray that God would send somebody to me. God, man, I messed up. I got some problems. I got some brokenness. I wish you'd send somebody to help me. I wish you would send Nehemiah to me. But what if God's not asking you to pray for Nehemiah? What if God's asking you to realize that you are Nehemiah? What if God's not asking you to pray what somebody else can do? What if God's praying for what can you do? 
Because I love Nehemiah. What we see is this king says, what is it that you want? And he says, uh, and he looks at him. He says, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me. Could it be the reason that your heart is broken for these things is because God wants you to be Nehemiah? Could it be that God wants you to be the one who rebuilds the walls in your life or even rebuilds the walls in somebody else's life? But it has to come from a perspective change of God. Instead of saying, God, send Nehemiah, God, am I Nehemiah? And I want to make it real easy for you. The answer is yes. We have been called to be Nehemiah. We have not been called to sit and watch Nehemiah go work. We have been called to change our world with the power and the love of Jesus Christ, which means that your prayer may need to be, God, do you, are you sending me? God, what do I need to do? God, what do you want me to say? God, what areas of my life are you calling me to lead in? So if you're able to define the vision and you're able to remove the hindrances that keep you or the circumstances that hinder you from your vision, the second thing you have to do is you have to identify the next steps. You have to identify the next steps. What great is a vision if you don't know what you're going to do with the vision? What great is knowing what should happen if you don't know what you're going to do to make it happen? So the first thing we find that Nehemiah does is Nehemiah set a time. In the, sec, in the sixth verse, he says, how long will your journey take? The king is asking him, and when will you be back? And it says, the, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I set a time. I'm not gonna live like this forever. I'm going to set a time to reach my vision. You see, here's the thing that Nehemiah knew. Every day that he was there with the wall broken, he was vulnerable. Every day that the wall was in ruins, he was vulnerable to attack. And the thing that we have to understand is that every single day that you let that problem persist, you let that wall continue to be broken, you are vulnerable. You're vulnerable to attack. And the enemy's gonna walk in wherever you're vulnerable, wherever you're weak, whatever wall's broken, he's going to attack you time and time and time again. I mean, have you ever experienced that? Like, have you ever had a wall that was just so broken and you were so vulnerable that everywhere you turned, you were attacked? I mean, honestly, I mean, like you're watching a movie that has nothing to do with your problem and something happens and all of a sudden you just are reminded and you feel terrible because the enemy slipped in unsuspected because you were vulnerable right here and you saw a scene about a girl who loved a man and you wish somebody just loved you and all of a sudden you're like, ah, I'm single. Like, I mean, like, come on, right? Or, or maybe, maybe even the people that are close to you who have zero intentions of hurting you, but somehow they become your enemy because they're just being your friend. They're just loving you, but because you're so vulnerable, they're saying things, not meaning to hurt you, but it just does. If you keep yourself with, the, if you don't set a time, what's gonna happen is you're gonna be vulnerable day after day after day. And here's the thing about time is we are so concerned with money slipping away. We are so concerned with people slipping away. We are so concerned with our job getting away. But the one thing that you will never get back is your time. It's finite. It's never coming back. So that week that you set in brokenness, you're never going to get back. That month that you set in brokenness, you're never going to get back. And can I be even a little bit more honest? Your family will never get that time back that you said in brokenness. Your spouse will never get that time back that you said in brokenness. The people at your work will never get that time back that you said in brokenness. You see, I wonder what would happen if we began to set a time 
and say, I will not beyond this point live like this any longer. I wonder what things would be broken off of our life. You see, the thing after we set a time that we have to know is we have to know the path. We have to know the path. If you set a time, but you have no idea how you're going to get there, what good is it? If, per se, I had a vision of losing 30 pounds by August and I had no path to get there, what good is that? None. You have to set and know the path. Nehemiah says, hey, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? He knew the path he was going on. And because he knew the path, he was able to solve tomorrow's problems today. Too many of us set visions and we set times, but we have no idea how we're going to get there. You have no idea what the path will take. And can we just be honest and realize that there is danger along the path? May Maybe I'm the only one. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Maybe I'm the only one who I've said, you know what, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to be healed of this brokenness. I'm going to restore this. I'm going to rebuild this wall. And everything went perfect. Can you believe it? I said I was going to do something good and I was going to restore this in my life and nothing happened. It was easy. I did it the next day. Come on. We're adults. There is danger along that path. And if you don't know the path, how can you prepare for the danger that's coming your way? So you have to know the path, you have to prepare, and you have to be willing to solve tomorrow's problems today. As many problems as you can prepare for, solve it today. The third thing you have to do is you have to find your priorities. Find your priorities. In Nehemiah verse 8, it says, And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber? I don't know why this is such a weird verse to me. Maybe just because it seems so far from what I would do in this situation. So asking for timber is a pretty reasonable request, is it not? If you have to build a wall, you got to build a gate, wood is required. It seems fair to say, hey, I need some timber. But I'm thinking if I'm speaking to the king and I'm going to make my request for one thing, I'm going to ask for something way better than just some wood. All right. If I'm a cupbearer, or hey, let's just say I'm a pastor because I am and I have no idea how to use these tools because I don't. Like I'm gonna ask for something more than just wood. I'm gonna ask for the royal contractor. I'm gonna be like, can you send John Holmes with me because he knows what he's doing and I don't. And at least I'll be able to say, hey guys, we're gonna build a wall. John, tell him how, right? Like, I mean, at least it would be something that would help me. Or maybe, hey, king, can you give me like a lot of money so that I can pay people to come help? Or, or I don't know, maybe you could send me like, like, like a, a small army. That'd be really great. But you see, Nehemiah understood that he had to find his priorities because if you don't define, if you don't establish your priorities for your vision, somebody else will. And if you allow somebody else to establish their priorities for your vision, it won't be your vision anymore. It'll be theirs. You see, the thing is, everybody's vision is different. Yes, have mentors speak into your life. Yes, have people who have gone before you speak into you and they can warn you about things on the path and they can help you set a time, but don't for a second let them tell you what your priorities are because your vision is not their vision. Your pain is not their pain. Your people are not their people. God is giving you a vision that you have to set the priorities for how you're going to reach it. Not long ago, my wife and I went through a circumstance that's not really that important, but it was important to us. 
And guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. It wasn't one of those things that just hurt. It was one of those things that utterly, completely shattered me. I'm not saying these things so that you feel bad for me. I'm just telling you the truth for the first time in my life. I found myself on my knees saying, how in the world could this have happened to me? I've done everything God's asked me to do. And here I am completely shattered and broken. And I had a lot of people speaking into my lives and they had some great insight. Hey, you gotta do this. This is step one. You gotta be able to do this for your family. And they weren't that off. You know what? You need to step up and you need to do this for your marriage. You need to do this for your personal life. You need to do this for your career. And none of them were wrong, but their vision wasn't my vision for what it was gonna look like when it was restored. And so what I did, and I only tell you this because this is the honest to God truth. I do a lot of things wrong, but for me, this was priority one, is that I was not going to take a step unless my wife was ready to take that step with me. Because although I was broken, she was hurting too. And so while everybody else said, do this, Joseph, and do this, and do this, and do that, they didn't have my vision of what the future was gonna look like because my my future was gonna look different than my present. My future was gonna have my wife standing beside me stronger than the past when she had stood behind. So what I did is I got up and I took her to this place. We did this thing. And here's what I did. Here's ultimately, here's the exact words I said to her. I said, Whitney, we have cried all we're gonna cry. We have been angry as long as we're gonna be angry. We are not victims and we are not broken. We're gonna say a prayer and we did. And when we walk up from this prayer, we're taking a step forward together. And if you're not ready, I won't move. But if you're ready, I'm ready. So we prayed. It wasn't a great prayer. I, sometimes I can pray the pain off of walls. This time I didn't. We prayed and we took a step. And then I said, okay, God, I'm ready to reach that vision. And I don't have time to tell you the story, but this vision that God is continuing to, to show me, he's continuing to impress it. He's continuing to rebuild these walls in my life. I don't believe I would have ever gotten there if somebody else had told me what priority one was. You have to define the priorities for your vision to be able to reach it. So if you define the vision, if you identify the next steps, the third thing you have to do is you have to move from intention to action. Have to move from intention to action. So I was raised in a pastor's home. I've been in church for almost 28 years. And that's not like I knew about church for 28 years. I mean, the Sunday after I was born, despite the doctor's pleas, my mom took me to church. <laughs> Who does that? Like, I didn't take my girls to church for like three months. It's like, ah, people are sick. Like, don't let them touch my babies. They took me to church and said, God will protect them. Thank God he did. But... <laughs> I've been in church for 28 years, man. I have seen, I've been seeing so many incredible things. And here's what I found. It is really easy to raise a church full of good intentions. It is really easy to fill rows full of people with good intentions. You know what the hard part is? It's getting people to move from intentions to action. The really hard part isn't getting people to want to do good things. The really hard part is getting people to actually do good things. Because God hasn't called us to good intentions. He's called us to action. He has said, I have called you to move beyond just intention, but do something about this brokenness in your life. See, as we begin to move from intention to action, there's a truth that you have to become aware of. And it's a truth that nobody ever told me about. It's a truth that I believe everybody goes through, but for some odd reason, we never just say it. The truth is, before you ever build up, 
you have to dig down. So I look at Nehemiah, and I think, man, this guy had a great vision. He, he, man, he named it off in a heartbeat. He had next steps. Man, what a great leader. I'm sure when he got there, everything was perfect. Everything was ready. Somebody had cut the grass for him. They had moved out all the ashes. They had moved out all the boulders. Like everything was perfect. His vision was the wall. His vision was what he was going to build. Everything down here was already ready for him, right? But it wasn't. It says the city was in ruins and it was in ashes. The first thing that Nehemiah had to do when he got to the wall wasn't begin to build up. It was he had to begin to dig out. He had to begin and go and dig out the things that had once protected Israel. He had to go out and dig out all of the good things that had once been there. He had to dig out the rubble. He had to dig out the ashes. He had to dig all of that out before he could ever build. So I live in a subdivision where they're building a lot of houses. And I got to tell you, it's really annoying. Like, I, I understand people need homes. Just live somewhere else. Like, I'm tired of seeing houses built all the time. Because here's what happens is they go and, and they show these awesome pictures of houses, and man, they look great. I'd love to live in some of these houses they're building. Let me tell you, they're nice. What they don't show you in the catalogs and in the pictures is all the work that's required to build that house. Let me tell you, if you don't know, they dig out a lot of dirt, a lot of dirt. Like seriously, like a crater size worth of dirt everywhere. Because you have to build the foundation before you can build the house. And so what I found in my own journey of deciding that I was going to rebuild the wall is before I could rebuild the vision that God gave me, before I could see restoration, before I could bring it up, I realized that God had to do some digging down. Because what I found was that my, my, my walls, the things that I, that, I, that I loved so much, they were built on the wrong things. They, they were there, but the reason they fell so easily is because they weren't built on a foundation. What I came to realize is I built a lot of good walls off my own gifts and my own abilities. What I did is I built a lot of good walls off of good people in my life. What I did is I built a lot of good walls on a lot of good qualities, but those were the very walls that had been destroyed. And so what I found is God said, you know what, if you want to do some rebuilding, if you want to do some restoration, I've got to do some digging in your life first. And nobody told me that this part was going to be harder than the walls breaking themselves. I thought the hardest part was the walls being broken, but you know what had happened like that? You know, I got a phone call and it was done. It, it, the brokenness didn't take a long time. It happened in an instant. The hard part was whenever God said, I got to do some digging in your life. So what I didn't know whenever I got to this part was that God had to do some digging in my life. I didn't realize I had so many insecurities. I, I didn't realize that I was so afraid of being such a terrible father. I didn't know I had so many insecurities about the things I lacked as a husband. I didn't know I had so many insecurities about the lacks I had as a pastor. I didn't know I had so many insecurities. And so you know what God began to do? He began to dig those things out because anything that's not solid will have to go. So you know what we begin to do? And this is just me telling you my story. What I had to go through is he had to put me through some pretty hard times. He made me go through my first Father's Day feeling like a complete failure because I was so insecure about how I was gonna fail, how I was gonna do these girls wrong, how I was gonna make a mistake. That my first Father's Day, I woke up in tears because of insecurity that God said, I gotta dig this out. 
I thought that I knew how to do things that I, that I didn't have fears of being a good husband, but you know what? I really did. I had a lot of fears that I was gonna mess it up with my wife, that I was gonna make her hate the church, that I was gonna make her hate me in ministry, that I was gonna screw things up. And you know what? Whenever I actually let God do some digging, it really hurt because he had to pull those things out of me. I remember all the people that I had invested in, the people that I had poured my heart and soul for, the people that I had allowed to come to me time and time again. I remember going through those and whenever it was time for me to finally do some rebuilding, God had to dig some relationships out of my life that were poison. And it hurt and it was painful. And God just kept digging and he kept digging and he kept digging and it was so painful and it was so difficult. But I said, God, I don't want just another wall that stands. I want something that's never gonna be torn down again. I want something that no man can ever destroy, that no job can ever destroy, that no person can ever destroy, that no family member can ever destroy. I wanna build something that is nothing in this planet will ever be able to bring down. So if that means I gotta keep digging, then I'm gonna keep digging. And so I kept digging and it was hard and it was annoying and it was long but you know eventually what I found at the bottom of me digging was a rock what I found at the bottom of this digging was the very thing that God wanted to build on from the beginning you know what that was that was Christ what he wanted me to do is he wanted me to keep digging to realize that I couldn't do it on my own. He wanted me to realize that, you know what? Maybe I can't be the father that I wanna be on my own. Maybe I can't be the husband. Maybe I can't be the pastor, but I can dig all of these insecurities and these fears out. I can dig all of this pain. I can dig all these thoughts that you have out. And what'll happen is you'll be down all the way to the rock. You'll be down all the way to my son, Jesus Christ. And this time, whenever you build your wall, you're gonna build it on a firm foundation that the gates of hell cannot prevent that is the type of wall that God wants to build in your life and so you know what he's doing he didn't just put one block but he's doing another and he's doing another and you know what literally this last week I looked at my wife and I said it blows my mind the things that God has done in six months that I would have never in a million years guessed but you know the difference is the foundation isn't me it's not a person it's not a gift it's not a thing the foundation is nothing but the love and the power of Jesus Christ so there's some digging that's got to go on in your life. There's some things that God wants to get out. And you know what? I'm just going to be honest. It's, it's not fun. It's not. But I can tell you today, there ain't nothing you can do that will ever bring me to where I was. Because I have a foundation that even if you can't see, is unbreakable. You want to move from intention to action? Be prepared to do some digging. You want to move beyond what you had? You want to move into a better future than you had in your present or even in your past? Let God do some digging down into your life and let you reach all the way down to your knees to where you realize that he is the only one that will bring you there. He is your only savior, your only provider. What will happen is a better vision than you even imagined. But you have to do some digging. Are you willing to let God do some digging in your life? Or is the vision just a dream? that time will pass and you'll never reach because you wouldn't let them dig. So here's what you gotta do as we're drawn to a close. If you wanna answer the question of now what, is you have to define your vision, define it. Because even if you're not doing it in this room, I guarantee you when you go home today, God is there. 
And he's going to ask you, what is it you want? What is it that you want? Can you answer that? Can you give a clearly defined vision? Will you identify the next steps? Will you move from here to there with the next steps that you have? And will you go from intention to action and allow God to do some digging in your life? You had to move some papers around when you grabbed your seat, when you got into your seat, and there's a connect card in there. And we want to challenge you to take some bold steps. One of the things that we love about Four Corners is we don't want you just to hear a good message. We don't want you just to be inspired. We don't want you just to love the music and what goes on here. We want you to take steps to letting God work in your life. So if you got that connect card there, there's a couple of options. You can uh, check bold step A that says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't, I don't know if, if I entirely believe all this. I don't, I don't know, but here's what I do know. I know there's a lot of brokenness in my life and I've tried everything to restore it and rebuild it, but nothing's working. Maybe the answer is Jesus. You check that step and we'll sit down and we'll talk with you. We will walk that process with you. We will answer your questions and love you through it. Or maybe it's bold step B, that today I'm choosing to be baptized. Maybe part of your vision is drawing closer with God. Maybe it's taken, maybe that's one of the steps that you need to do. Is you know what? I'm ready to proclaim in front of everybody a public declaration that I'm a follower of Jesus. Check bold step B, and we would love to join in that celebration with you. And maybe your bold step C says, I will pray and write a clearly defined vision for my broken walls. Maybe the enemy has kept you distracted for too long. And you're ready to get your eyes up on the vision that God has. Write that vision out. Or bold step D says, I will take a step, I will take a next step towards achieving my vision. Maybe that's, you know what, I need to set a time. Maybe that's I need to learn the path. Maybe that's I need to find my priorities. Whatever that is, take that step. Or bold step E says that I will pray and ask the Lord if there's some digging that needs to be done in my life. Because if you don't allow God to do the digging, you will never reach the foundation that he has for you. So maybe you need to pray that prayer. God, is there some digging that I need to do in my life? If you check those, if you'll set those off to the side, I want to pray over our next bold steps. I want to pray over the things that you just agreed to do, but I want to ask that you would join with me. So if you guys will pray, God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for all of your many blessings. God, I thank you for every person who's chosen to take, to take a next bold step this morning. God, I pray for anybody who says, I'm tired of living with broken walls. I'm tired of letting this problem persist. I want to see these, these walls rebuilt. I want to write a vision. God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. God, I pray right now that visions would just become, uh, that you would just begin to fill people with visions right now, visions of a better future, visions of a better tomorrow with their spouse, visions of a better tomorrow with their families, visions of a better uh, tomorrow with their lives, visions of a better tomorrow with their jobs. And God, I pray that we would begin to take next steps. God, I pray that these wouldn't just be good words, but God, we would begin to put action to our steps. We begin to put action to this vision. And God, I pray for some people who you need to do some digging in. God, I pray for humbleness of heart, God, we will allow you to maybe dig some things out of our lives that have been there for too long. Maybe you need to dig out some things that have been there for a season, maybe some things that used to be good, maybe some things that used to have a decent purpose, but it's not what you have for our future. God, I pray that you'd begin to dig those things out of our lives, begin to dig out the situation, begin to dig out the insecurity, begin to dig out the relationships, begin to dig out, God, we just trust you. God, we give it to you. God, we just say that we're an open vessel for you to use dig out whatever needs to be dug out of my life so I can build on a foundation. And God, we pray that you would be with us in all that we do and we give it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you appreciate the word that Joseph has brought to us today? If so, can you just help me say thank you to him? Yeah. Thank you, Joseph.
I'm thrilled that God is building a, a great team around here and so excited for what God's going to continue to do through Joseph and Whitney and their beautiful girls. If you call this church home, um, you should know that God's doing some great stuff. There's some folks here getting ready to receive from us our offering. If you're our guest today, your gift uh, is your presence to us. You don't have to participate in this. As they're coming, let me tell you about uh, our Easter offering, which we did, started a couple weeks before Easter, and we're kind of ending it officially tonight at midnight. And if you haven't participated, you can do that. But we set a goal for $30,000, and on the front of your message notes, there's some information about that. One of the biggest things to me is the roof that we're going to repair on our orphanage in Kerala, India. So where we are is $22,000 in. And believe it or not, this is as good, a, if not better, an Easter offering than we've ever had. We're about $8,000 down from where we want to be. And if you haven't given yet, please do that. Um, you can look at the other initiatives that we're doing as we get ready to complete our space for kids ministry. We're gonna to need to have some furniture. And so that Easter offering goes for some very practical needs. And it's just one more way that we're being faithful to take our good intentions, as Joseph talked about, and through our offering and giving, making our intention into action. And so if you're not prepared to give today, you can use your offering envelope, take it home, put a check in it, drop it in the mailbox. You don't have to put a stamp on it anywhere in the country, it'll come to us. Or you can jump online if you want, or you can write a check or give some cash today, market Easter offering. Um, you should know that God's doing incredible, incredible things. And because of your faithful giving, we're able to have a place where the Word of God is proclaimed boldly and lives are changed. We're able to reach literally around the world. And so thank you for that. We're going to pray one more time for God to take our offering and make it go far and wide for His glory. Would you bow with me? God, thank you for the word that we heard. Thank you, Lord, that while it's an Old Testament story about a guy in a particular time and place, the same God then is God today. And you're still rebuilding broken walls, and you still call us to do the hard work with you to allow your full plan to take its full effect in our lives. God, I want to thank you for faithful people who are generous, who pray, who serve. And as we come to this part of our worship today, God, I ask that we would turn intention into action. We contribute to what you're doing in this place. God, would you take our gifts, make them go far and wide for your glory, not because we're building a kingdom for some man, but because we're literally investing in the kingdom of God. Thank you for what we're doing, and we look forward to hearing good reports of what you've accomplished with our sacrifice. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son. Amen.